Hello and welcome to the Redefine Instruction webcast series, where we bring a fresh perspective on learning and development with every single episode. Go ahead, grab a cup of coffee or your favorite drink and enjoy a few moments talking about LND with me. Hi, my name is Sandia Lachenbal and I am your host for this series. Subscribe to our webcast or look out for new episodes on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or log on to redefineinstruction.com for the latest trends on L&D. In this episode, the spotlight is on Rance Green. If you want to learn about storytelling, look no further than needastory.com. Rance formed needastory.com for those who struggle with storytelling at work. His methodology Story design gives leaders and talent development professionals a systematic and creative way for discovering who their audience is and how to persuade them to take action on new ideas. He's helped leadership teams, entrepreneurs, and instructional designers discover that they are uniquely equipped to tell the best story for their audiences. My personal favorite is his book titled Instructional Story Design. The book is a practical guide for developing stories that train. He coaches, teaches, speaks, and writes often on the benefits of stories to connect humans to one another. In this episode, Rance walks us through the nuances of designing instructional stories and describes the nuts and bolts of designing the components of stories. Be sure to check out the links in the show notes and don't forget to get a copy of his book, Instructional Story Design. In the show notes, you can also find a link to his exclusive workshop designed to equip instructional designers on how to design stories for their specific audience. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Rance Green. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Redefine Instruction. So excited to have you here today. Thank you, Sanya. It's wonderful to be here. Yes. Um, So, Rance, I am really, really intrigued by your journey into instructional design and then storytelling. I know you and I have exchanged um, a little bit about your background, but for the sake of the listeners, can you share a little bit about why you chose instructional design, how you came to be um, in design, and then what made you choose storytelling as a niche? Sure, sure. Um, I have a theater background. Um, I have an um, undergraduate degree in acting and a master's in choreography. And so I went to New York City to do both of those things. And one of the, what I really love about theater is it's live, you know, and when you are watching the action unfold on the stage, it is live and in person and anything can happen. And so I really love that kind of tension that exists between the audience and the stage. Um, and when I, when I moved to New York City, um, I had an encounter with God and my, my trajectory completely changed. I left the theater. I left um, the dance company I was with at the time and um, he gave me a new path. And I began to really invest time in the young people at my church. And those kids came from the Bronx, they came from Harlem, Spanish Harlem, 
Queens, all over the boroughs into Times Square, which is where the church was. And I found a connection with them. It was really, it was, I'm from North Carolina. I'm a mountain boy from North, North Carolina, living in New York City. And all of a sudden I have these junior high kids, you know, that I'm supposed to somehow relate to. <laughs> and, um, you know, what connected us was stories. Like I would share, you know, stories of faith, stories of my personal life. Um, and they shared theirs with me. And that formed a bond between us. And I ended up taking a lot of those kids on trips to Mexico, um, uh, different areas in the United States, um, because they trusted me and I trusted them and we could work together. And I worked there about nine years before moving back to North Carolina for a brief time and then moved to Texas, which is where I am now, same as you. Mm -hmm. I'm in Dallas. And when I moved here, I was kind of at a crossroads in my, in my life. And I was like, huh, what am I going to do now? I'm not uh, doing ministry anymore, not full time. And I'm not doing um, acting. What, what am I, what am I going to do here? So um, what I wanted to do was actually put put food on the table for my family. So, <laughs> so I just got a job. I just got a job at Blue Cross. And uh, I started working there and I was like, oh, thank goodness, this is a temp job. This is the most awful <laughs> job I've ever had. <laughs> but wouldn't you know it? Haha. <laughs> ended up staying there for, um, gosh, 12, 12 years, I think. Oh, wow. um, circuitously ending up in the compliance ethics and compliance department where I was overseeing compliance training. Oh, wow. And when I was being interviewed and this, this is in the book, actually in my, in the book that I've written, um, when I was being interviewed, um, I, I really felt impressed to tell them about my storytelling capabilities. I was a playwright, I was a, you know, just a kind of a natural storyteller, and I practiced it a lot. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the interview, they said, what we're really looking for is a storyteller. <laughs> so, oh, wow. I knew I'd, knew I'd found my, my role when I knew, when I saw the, the great support of the management team to support Stories for Training. And so that's, that's what I spent the next 12 years uh, not 12. I think I got in there like maybe I've been maybe there nine years. And uh, what a thrill. What a thrill to completely transform the compliance training from this, you know, click through right. to, to a story based experience and a really valuable learning um, experience, even with compliance training, like making it performance driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is how I ended up in instructional design and i would say how did i find storytelling as my niche like storytelling has followed me wherever i have gone it's been storytelling that has been that thread so i wouldn't say that i actually chose it it's just kind of i don't know god gave me this gift and i'm i'm just enjoying it <laughs> yes, yes. all the pieces of the puzzle put you know come together he has a plan um you know 
I've heard, interesting you mentioned compliance. Um, a lot of people think that storytelling and compliance don't really gel together or storytelling kind of takes a back seat when it comes to compliance because everything has to be so factual and so focused on checking mm. the boxes. And I think that's one of the reasons if you don't weave the stories in, that's one of the reasons why compliance take and compliance training has such a negative connotation to it right mm -hmm. most organizations the employees have this mindset of oh here i have to do this yearly training let me just click through it and it's not enjoyable and a, many designers have the perspective that storytelling and compliance just don't gel together so i'm, I'm kind of curious to see from your perspective did you did you get a lot of resistance i mean i know you said the leadership was really supportive but mm -hmm. did you get any resistance either from the designers you were working with or other stakeholders when it came to combining the art of storytelling and compliance that's a wonderful question i just spoke at atd international conference and one of the sessions that I did was called Looking Forward to Compliance. <clears throat> and it was a whole session on storytelling and compliance training. Um, and I think that you hit on all of my opening remarks. Yes, we do as um, an industry. I think, that, I think that compliance training gets a bad rap because designers kind of perceive it that way as well. And so we don't give them anything better. <laughs> But I will tell you that the learners rejoiced okay. and, and they embraced um, the characters, the stories. Um, there were some stakeholders that were resistant. Okay. Um, and after the first year, so I had three stakeholders, right? Two of them were like, sure, let's do storytelling. The third one was like, no, our content is too serious for stories. To which I usually reply, if your content is that serious, you actually need a story. So the, uh, the second year came around and I showed the, um, the results of the um, surveys that went out. And lo and behold, that, that stakeholder that didn't want stories, all of a sudden wanted them. <laughs> they became like the biggest... Um, push pusher of of the stories after that in fact they uh we we made we got a mascot for their for their department and uh they kind of adopted this mascot and i was like wow funny how things change like that when you see the results of of what compliance training can do for your course then um or what stories can do for your compliance training course i should say mm -hmm. then uh, there's no question. It's like, of course, we have to have stories. Right. Because it, it makes it easier to connect the knowledge with, a, with a, when you have that background story, because you have stories have this chrono chronology to them. And facts in isolation are so hard to stick in your head. It's almost like learning by rote and you can hold it for a short period of time, doesn't stay for a long period of time. And for compliance, yeah. you need to be compliant 100% of the time. So, yeah. um, and part yeah. of it is also, sorry, did I interrupt you? Well, I was just going to remark on that. So, yeah, nobody walks away from, from a, a training course and was like, you know, 
Bullet point number seven. That was it for me, man. Bullet point number seven. No, they're like, did you, did that story, man? I even like laid in bed thinking about that story. You know, it's the story that people take away from those experiences. And if the story is designed right, then it contains everything needed for behavior change. Right, right. And you say it so seamlessly because it comes so naturally if it's designed right, but it's a very deliberate process. And I know that. Um, so there's, I call it the craft of storytelling, right? You have to make sure that it resonates with the audience. You have to have the right type of characters, the right type of graphics, and then the story, right? The right problem, solution, cause and effect, um, and, and, you know, and how you're pitching it. And then of course the transition between the story and the facts, how do you weave it all together? How do you make sure (laughs) that it works so seamlessly? Yeah, so I'm going to introduce to your listeners. Let me just grab it real quick. Alrighty. Hopefully I won't make you too motion sick here. But there is this really interesting book that I've read before. It's called Instructional Story love Design. That book. <laughs> yes, love that book. So I like to think of story, like I like to think of instructional design as this process that we're very familiar with as designers. And not reinventing like this unattached process that you also have to learn to be able to tell stories. No, 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 no. You already have this process. Let's use that process to create the story that you're looking for for your training. So what what I tell designers is narrow it down. So so, um, Sandhya, can you tell me, you've already said some of the elements of a story. Right. You know, so... You've said um, characters, yeah. the hook at the beginning of the story, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? What's the solution that goes with it? Yes. How am I going to have those dividers or transitions between the story and the content? Okay, good. So I like what you said about uh, the problem. I call that conflict and I call, and you said characters. And so I call it um, the story design model says, you have to have relatable characters. So I add the adjective because I want people to realize that the characters they're creating have to, in some way, connect with the audience that they're, they're training. They have to have some sort of empathy for those characters. Then you have the problem or the conflict, and I call it strong conflict. And the reason I use the word strong is because, first of all, you have to have it. It can't be omitted which is often the case. And, and secondly, it needs to be as strong as reasonably possible because that strong conflict is the part of the equation, part of the story design model that gives us an emotional connection to the story. Mm-hmm. So I would let down to those two things. Relatable, if you can write relatable characters and put them into strong conflict, it produces something in the listener or in the watcher um, that it's this desire. It's a desire for resolution. I care about these characters. They're in trouble. They're in conflict. I want, I want to see a resolution. And that's exactly where you want the learner to be at that place of what happens next. How do they get out of this? Um, And that's where you want them to be too, because that is the point where training comes in. 
and through a series of activities, uses the story to bring the learner through this kind of self-discovery process of everything that you are training them to do. So that is kind of in a nutshell, the store design model. And, and if you follow that model with the story, which is relatable characters and strong conflict, and if that produces a desire for resolution and then you train them, it will concretely connect them to the action you want them to take as a result of training. So that is the, the big picture of of how to do that. And I, and I found that going too deeply into the hero's journey, the, you know, the, you know, those aren't needed because and those are interesting and they're helpful to understand storytelling, but they're not necessarily for training purposes. They're not necessarily um, a must to write a good story for training because we are constantly telling stories. We know how it goes. Right. We know kind of the structure, it's, it's ingrained in us. So when we, when we have those two essential things, relatable characters and strong conflict, we just know what to do with them mm-hmm. because, because we are constantly talking in terms of story. I hope yeah. that answers your question. Yes, yes. The other thing that intrigues me, and you mentioned this in your book, is all about action, right? You you focus on the action all the time. Why the focus on the action? How how does that bring out the the best stories for learning and development? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because, like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, I love I love being in the theater, right? Because it's all about action. You're watching people do things on the stage. If they were not doing anything on the stage, boring, right? It would be boring. You would just be, it would be, you would feel like you were back in, you know, the 1960s when they were doing experimental theater and people were just standing on the stage, (laughs) you know, which is interesting, but boring. So um, training, is all about equipping people to take action, to take action on new knowledge, new skills, new attitudes, and stories are all about action. So there is this natural affinity for stories and training because they're both about action. Mm -hmm. And if you have a course and you have a difficult time describing what somebody should do after they take that course, you probably don't need that course. You know, it's probably not, (laughs) you know, a lot of compliance training is like that. A lot of compliance training is quote, awareness training. But what I would challenge designers to do with their stakeholders is say, okay, all right. So this is awareness training. What does somebody do when they are aware of the policy for uh, social media or whatever the policy is that they're training on? What does somebody do when they are aware? What does somebody do when they understand? You know, because, and I, and I relate it back to theater and I, and I give this illustration where as a director, I, I loved directing plays. That's, that's one of my favorite things. And so I would, if I tell an actor, you know, I want you to cross center stage and then I want you to be aware of your fellow actors. Be aware of the social media policy, right? 
you could watch them cross stage left to the to the center stage but then what right (laughs) what so so the term i use is observable actions okay okay narrow it down to observable actions right right and i think that is um that is um as relevant in compliance as it is in sales or any other type of training is what is it that you learn what what behavior change or what is it that you want the learners to do because nobody unlike elementary school or even high school you're not learning for learning's sake you're learning for the sake of achieving something Um, and that's where that action really just falls in place yes um i'm just curious to know um have you uh do you tend do you use different types of formats of stories um you know i mean it just makes me think of when we are watching soap opera there are different types of story mm. um formats that you see right some start in retrospective some start in chronological order um some present the solution before the problem comes along um have you used that in learning and development at any point so all of it hinges on what I call the action list. So if you have done a good job of, you know, talking with your subject matter expert and you have developed a list of actions that people need to do as a result of training, that's where all your conflict is. And so if that if those actions are in a logical order, then it probably makes sense to follow that logical order in your conflict. Um, are there, there are times when I have made hour long stories for an hour long training and it's very complex and you have these, this set of characters over here, you have this set of characters over here. And by the end, all of those characters have come together. That's pretty complex. And you, you see the relationships between those two, between all the characters, um, that gets pretty, pretty involved. Um, the, the challenge with that, of course, is the complexity of it. Um, but it's pretty, it's pretty engaging all the way through, right? Because it's an, an entire story. You don't have to create something long like that. But I would say that most of my stories for training, probably about four minutes. And they take you through to the point of conflict, to the height of the conflict. So I don't present the solution before mm-hmm. I, I present the problem. And from that climax, that gives me a great launching point for training because then I have their attention and I have this wonderful example to keep referring back to throughout the training mm-hmm. that they can think back and we're like, what was wrong right here? Let them identify it. Let them figure it out and then give them feedback on their answers. That was another component that I I did not mention, but is a very strategic part is that feedback. How do you weave that in? Um, All of this matrix of storytelling and content comes with immense amount of research, right? There's a lot of research process that happens on the back end before we get to the, the story itself. Can you give me a sneak peek on what that process or research looks like? Yeah, so if you are uh, developing a course or designing and developing a course, 
um, that research, we call it analysis and in instructional design. And so that analysis would include, um, first of all, that first meeting with the stakeholder. You know, what's the root problem? What's the business outcome? And is training going to help? Is this the right solution? In other words, you're, you're really looking for the story, right? Who are the people involved? What's the problem? You know, and how is training going to help these people? Um, if, if training cannot help those people, then, you know, you need to suggest another solution. But if it is a solution, that's when you really dig down and you start to figure out, okay, who are the, who is your audience? That's part of the research. I create an audience profile for every new audience that I train, speak to, um, design for, consult, one-on-one -on -one coaching, whatever that is, I do an audience profile. Because I want to know, I want to go into that situation knowing who I'm talking to. And it's really going to help me create the right story if I know who I'm telling that story to. So if I'm creating a story for the board of directors, that's going to be a much different story than if I am creating training for, you know, pizza delivery guys, you know. Those, those, I need to know who I'm, I'm, I'm training. That's a big piece of the research. And then the last piece would be that work that you do with the subject matter expert to define what those actions are, because that's going to be the source for my conflict right there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, there's a lot. I know you make it sound really simple, but it, it's a lot. Um, just curious, are there certain types of stories that are a taboo for certain audiences or certain content? <laughs> oh, so I, I would go back to my, um, what I said before about knowing who your audience is. Um, for instance, I just did a project for a client and part of that solution was a story. And one of the, um, and it had to be done very quickly. And so this is, this is interesting because um, I just delivered it today. So mm -hmm. we had, um, I had my, my wife is a voiceover actor. So I had her narrate the story and she did the voices of the characters like you would as if you were reading a book to, a, to your child, right? Mm -hmm. Just a little slight change in the voice mm -hmm. to note a different character, but nothing over the top, right? Um, so the client wanted me to, um, wanted me to do the male voices, but the problem with that is the characters in the story were not of my ancestry. Mm -hmm. You know, these were people who live in Africa and they are, they are African. Right. And so my observation was this, if I play if I do the voices for those African voices, mm -hmm. I said, it's going to destroy this story because, you know, with one person narrating everything, we're willing to suspend our disbelief. Right. right? But as soon as another voice comes in, all of a sudden it's a real story. Like it's like a movie now. Yes. And so you've got this guy <laughs> playing the voice of this African character. So you've got to be sensitive to those kinds of things with your audience. I mean, that's just a very small thing, but it is something that could have ruined the story. Um, types of stories, 
You know, I think there's probably a place for any type of story, depending on who that audience is. I really don't put kind of restrictions around, you know, that I do encourage people to make the characters as real as possible. Try to avoid stereotypes. Now, there is a time and a place for the sitcom type um, where you have stock characters, right? For your, for your sitcoms where right. all the characters are always the same. They never change <laughs> and they always have the same personality. They don't grow. They don't, you know, more, they're, they're the same character every episode. Right. Um, so there could be a, a call for that, but I, I really encourage my students to take those characters and make them as real as possible, which means probably Tammy talk a lot is not a great name for your character. Probably just Tammy is good enough, you know, because as soon as you put this descriptor by her name, she becomes a, a caricature. Right. right. Yeah. There's a story stereotype that gets attached and, and we see a lot of those happening in L and D the talkative Tammy and the, yeah. um, annoying Annalise or whatever you want to call it, you know, right? <laughs> that's the, that's the, quick the, on your feet right there. Yeah, I mean, I've seen examples <laughs> over there, you know, of, of, you know, of learning and development um, stories that are crafted like that. You have those preconceived notions where it becomes a stereotype or a no-brainer where then mm -hmm. you don't have the audience. You're doing the thinking for the audience rather than yes. letting the audience thinking think for themselves. And um, on that point, on that point, Sanya, I would I also encourage folks who are new to this um, to just to show me the action. So again, the action comes back into the story, right? Um, if you know what the action the learner is supposed to do, you'll be very clear about what these characters are supposed to be doing. And show me, show me that action. Don't tell me about it. Don't describe what the character is thinking. You know, they can talk and give them words to say and give them actions to do. Take out the adjectives, take out the adverbs, just show me the action. And let me, as an intelligent adult, figure out what's happening in that story. You don't have to spell everything out. Right, right. Um, and I think sometimes the audience can walk away with much more powerful inferences when you leave it to their imagination than the obvious stated um, conclusions that you would put into the story itself. Um, you know, there, there can be epiphanies at a much higher level when things yeah. are, you know, and, and if you build interaction after having watched that story or gone through that learning experience, that's taking it to an even higher level of that Bloom's taxonomy than just sitting and observing. Um, so let there me you ask go. you um, a more uh, practical question. Are there certain tools that lend themselves to storytelling versus others? Or is e-learning or video the only option for storytelling? Or are mm -hmm. there other modalities that we can consider? Yeah. Um, I would say the first tool that you should consider is your voice. We are great at telling stories. And so don't underestimate that. If you are training live, man, you've got a great tool right here. Right. It's your voice. Tell the story. Um, if you are doing virtual or, or in-person training, um, 
both of them have different, you know, strengths. You can always tell a story in either of those situations. You can't do that in e-learning. You can't tell a live audience your story because your audience is not live anymore. It, 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 suddenly it becomes canned. It becomes a recording. It becomes a video. It becomes text on a page. Um, but the biggest point here, and yes, I'll, I'll share some tools that I use, Sandhya, but the biggest point is that the delivery, the, the development of the, of the story is secondary to the design. Okay. If the design is done well, that story will carry itself no matter how you produce it. And that can be produced like book, like a book, mm -hmm. text on a page or text on a screen. We'll read the story, right? That's perfectly acceptable. You might want to put a photo with the story that relates to it, that supports it, that doesn't detract from it, but that supports it, you know? Um, you may want to do a series of photographs with short text or maybe speech bubbles, you know? I really encourage people when they're writing stories to move it toward dialogue. You know, there's a big difference in a story that's written in past tense and narrated mm -hmm. than live dialogue, right? Takes me back to theater again. Yeah. But even if you can't get all the way over to dialogue, at least have some, have some quotes, of what the characters are saying in your narration. Um, so yeah, speech bubbles, speech bubbles, you know, a series of photos or a series of drawings or a series of, you know, animations mm -hmm. where, um, you watch the characters kind of go back and forth. You know, something really interesting that I did, especially at Blue Cross was that I took photographs of employees mm -hmm. and I staged everything. I was like, all right, you know, these two people are having an intense conversation with one another. They're at a conference table. I want you to be leaning forward. I want you to be leaning back with your arms crossed like this. And I want you to both say these lines as I take your picture. Right. And they would say their lines and I would snap a picture. Mm -hmm. So their mouths are open and they're facing one another. Mm -hmm. And then what I would do, and I at the time, I, I am not an e-learning developer, but I, I worked with one. I work with many. And um, I said, this is what I want to happen. I want the person who's speaking to be in color, mm -hmm. but I want the rest of the photograph to be black and white. I'm like, we're not sure how to do that. I'm like, well, let me show you how to do it. <laughs> so I put it in PowerPoint. I made it happen. It's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I synced the audio. And so then the slides changed, you know, and so the different people were talking back and forth. Right. And the cool thing about that is that afterwards people would come to me and say hey i took the compliance course i love the videos mm -hmm. it wasn't a video at all it was a series of photographs mm -hmm. synced to audio wow. um, so that can be very powerful as well yes um, i use an animation tool called beyond yes and that's um that has three different styles of animation that you can use to create stories um and then there's there's a boatload of other animation tools out there that can be used. But I would say, think simple mm -hmm. when you're getting started. Just use what you got. 
don't don't like say oh i don't have you know adobe <laughs> i can't make stories <laughs> you know you can you can type words on a page i guarantee you you can do that yeah, yeah. so use what you have and make those tools sing and as you get better and better at writing your stories and and producing them as you get better tools you know or i, I shouldn't say better i should just say more technologically advanced tools, <laughs> yeah. then you can uh, explore those. Yep, yep. Um, so a slightly different perspective to storytelling, right? Storytelling for learning and development looks very different from a leader telling stories, mm -hmm. right? Um, how, how do you navigate that landscape? How is that a completely different perspective? How do you kind of compare and contrast between the two? If somebody wants to rather than me making the training for an audience i am a leader and now i need to start push uh, pitching um a story to my to my um to my employees right and there's mm -hmm. a whole servant leader perspective that comes with that yeah. how do the two concepts differ from each other not too much and i'm, I'm glad you asked that because um a lot of my clients now are not only um, folks in the talent development space, but um, many of them are like, hey, can you help my leaders? <laughs> they need to be better communicators. So when you think about the reasons why we talk at work, what would you say some of those reasons? Why, why do we talk to each other at work? What, what's the purpose of talking? Um. The two things that come straight to mind, it's the small talk, right? The water cooler mm -hmm. conversation, which is just being friendly or getting to know your colleagues. Yes. And yes. then there's the purpose, purposeful conversation of, I need to get work done. So the conversation is centered. It's yeah. talking shop in other words. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. So that water cooler talk really has a purpose and that is to connect with my fellow employees. Mm -hmm. um, there are also occasions, kind of the big talks, right? Where, where we are trying to inspire people, right? Inspire them to, to, to put in more discretionary effort, inspire them to, um, to a new way of thinking about how we're doing business. Um, and then also, um, you mentioned this, really to guide to say, hey, we've got this work to get done. This is what we need to do to get that work done. Right. Or there's been a change of strategy from above. And we're gonna change operations, how we do things now to match that strategy. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is also the purpose of talking with each other to persuade. Um, and this a lot, you see this a lot when there's data sharing or um, actually, you don't see it a lot. <laughs> you should see it a lot when, when there's data sharing um, and when you are trying to convince people to invest, you know, give your department money, maybe, you know. So these purposes of connect, inspire, guide and persuade, storytelling does those things very well. Stories connect us, stories inspire us, stories guide us and stories persuade us. Mm -hmm. um, so when I meet with leaders, I start with that. I'm like, there, there are reasons why you're talking at work. And those reasons are perfectly aligned with storytelling. Mm -hmm. 
And so from there, then I, I start into the story design model, which is the same relatable characters, strong conflict, desire for resolution. It's not training, but it's a message, right. you know, the purpose of your message, and then people take action on it. Um, and there's a series of activities that I do with leaders that help bring them along because gosh, darn it. Not every leader is a great storyteller <laughs> and they're not actually, um, they're not comfortable with it. A lot of people, I think that part of it is that stories are emotional, you know, they make us laugh. They make us think they make us uncomfortable sometimes. Um, and because of that, um, they're not often welcomed in a corporate space because corporate unfortunately has gotten somewhat unemotional and um, has favored, just give me the facts. Just give me the facts. I can make my decision. Well, no, you can't because studies have been, have been done to conclusively tell us you cannot make decisions without emotions. Right. You cannot. You are paralyzed. You have decision paralysis unless there is some sort of an emotional input. And stories are really great at providing that. So I have two final questions for you uh, before I get to the fact-based question of people wanting to learn from you, because I really want to give people the opportunity to reach out and learn from you if they want to. Can you share an example of a powerful story that resonated with the audience? I know you have several, but if you had to pick one favorite story that was <laughs> particularly powerful, what would that be? Yeah, there... For, for training, I would say it has to be the one that I tell in the book. And it's, it's about um, this experience that I created for a department within Blue Cross where they had some compliance issues. They had not just some, they had a lot of compliance issues. And so they were like, hey, come in and, you know, slap our hand, basically, you know. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. But I worked with my team and I was like, you know, we need to tell a story here. And so we gathered all the actions that we wanted that, that group to do. And there were a lot of them. And I created this story with the help of my team. And it took place in a coffee shop. And the four employees of the coffee shop were having favoritism problems. They were having quality issues. Mm -hmm. Um, respect for one another issues. Um, they were, um, there was a, a load, a load of issues. But each one of those issues was an issue that was also reflected in the workplace where we were going to deliver this story. So we showed up. Well, I didn't actually do the training myself. I, I handed it off to my, my team and they went and they trained. And what they did is they told the story and it was, this was a PowerPoint with characters, stick characters on it and um, synced to audio so that the stick characters moved around. You know, <laughs> it was pretty rudimentary. Mm -hmm. But after the story was over, they asked, what, is there a problem mm -hmm. at this coffee shop? Mm -hmm. And each person was assigned a character. So they answered according to that character. And for some of them, no, there's no problem. You know, they were clueless because the character was clueless. 
For others, yes, there was a problem. Okay, what is that problem? How do you think this character could solve for that problem? And you, you didn't think there was a problem, but if you did know, how would you solve for that? And it was amazing because they were coming up with solutions for themselves. Right. And that opened the door wide for then training to just take it the rest of the way. They'd already bought in and they were ready to take it the rest of the way. Right. So about six to nine months later, mm-hmm. we were called by the management team. They said, thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming. Things have changed here. And whenever we feel ourselves going down the same paths, our old habits, mm-hmm. we tell each other, remember the coffee shop. Right. You've given them a reference point. The story was enough yeah. to remind them of how they needed to act. Right, right. No, I think there's a lot going on in there. There's, the, there's, You've sneaked in buy-in, but you've also primed the workspace for change management, which is a whole other big sphere where <laughs> learning and development kind of falls right in. It's one of the pieces of the puzzle of change management. So I think that yes. was... A very powerful way of doing that. Um, it's observant, yes. yes and stories yeah. are a wonderful way to to manage that. Yeah. To manage that change, and we gave them one. We gave yeah. them one to to help them. Right. Yeah. And and what a safe space, right? To to think of it as another character versus you know mimicking one that is in the actual workspace where in this case, a healthcare company, right? You took them yeah. out of the workspace, gave them a safe zone to practice or think That's of right. it um, from a third person or second person perspective. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, I, I think it was very neatly done. Um, so I'm going to ask you, I know you have two really good opportunities for people who are looking to learn more about storytelling. So you have the leadership cohort. I want to talk about that for just a minute or two. Um, sure. What is, of course, it's it's meant for leadership, um, but what is it that people can look to learn from that cohort and how can, sure. how can they join that cohort? Sure. So the leadership storytelling cohort is a brand new thing for me and I am loving it. So as of this recording, so we're recording today on September 15th. Right. And today was the first day of my first cohort. And man, did we have a good time. So I'm, I'm so excited. So I'll have many good stories to share with you later, Sandhya, about how the Capstone uh, project goes. Yes. Um, because they are expected to deliver a message, a story-based message at the end. And we will be, we'll be even voting <laughs> on who awesome. does the best job. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> So yeah, if you are interested in becoming just a better communicator, just investing in your own personal development, your professional development, um, this is a, a prime opportunity to do so. Um, I will probably have my next one in the first quarter of 2022. Okay. Um, so they can go to my website and click on lead, which my website is needastory.com. Yes. If you scroll down the page, you will see lead with stories. Um, and if you click on that, there will be some information about, you know, workshops and things like that, but you'll also see a link to the, to the leadership storytelling cohort. 
Awesome, awesome. And then another opportunity for L&D folks to learn from you is the, is the cohort that's coming up in 2022, right? Which is um, the L&D or instructional design workshops. Can you give us a sneak peek about what's coming up in that workshop? Sure, sure. So um, on September 16th, so probably by the time you, you, um, you get this posted, this will have passed, but it's, I call it the Instructional Story Design Roundtable. Mm-hmm. And I just stay in touch with people who've read the book. And, um, and I, I let them know, hey, I'm going to have a roundtable. Mm-hmm. Bring your questions about um, what you're struggling with about um, instructional story design. And so I'm having one tomorrow, um, September 16th. And those will be, I do about two of those every year. Uh, but if anyone is interested in bringing Nita Story, that's my company, into their company to speak as, uh, as a keynote or to do a workshop or you want some one-on-one coaching for training or for leading, mm-hmm. um, then please um, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And I will say, Sandhya, I do have kind of a third arm of the company, which is a new arm, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's a marketing arm, okay. because now I have business owners um, and organizations who need marketing support. They just want to get their story known right. to their customers, uh, so we're supporting them in that way as well. That's Pretty wonderful. exciting. Wonderful. That's wonderful. I am excited to, to you know, see how this journey goes. Um, Thank you. Rance, it's been a true pleasure speaking with you this evening. Thank you again for taking the time to speak with me and my audience. Thank you, Sandhya. It's really been nice spending this time with you. Thank you for listening to the Redefine Instruction webcast series. We welcome feedback. Leave a comment or question on any of our social media pages. We look forward to hearing from you. Until then, stay tuned for the next episode.